Alright, so uh, today we're actually starting a seven-part series uh, on uh, life's difficulties and specifically around the topic of suffering. And uh, we've just talked about uh, much of the human condition uh, that leads to suffering, sickness, death, tribulation, um, and we're going we're gonna to have a seven-part series on that. And can we just kind of get real for a moment and just admit together that life is really hard? Um, does anybody think it's easy at this point? So we're all like at least 30 years in at this point, I think. Many of us much more than that. But at this point, you should be fairly convinced, right, that life's pretty hard. Um, what are some of the examples that we have? What, what's some of the evidence that we have that demonstrate that life really is challenging? Death. Death, right? That was first one on my list as well. <coughs> Who could get the second? Divorce. I did not have that one on my on my list, but wrinkles. Wrinkles. <laughs> <laughs> Is that number two? <laughs> I had illnesses, but she may put that in the illness category. Fa- a failing body, right? Um, what are what are some of the other evidences of cancer? Yeah, illness. Crime, drugs. Crime. Yeah, drugs. What about miscommunication? You realize in the garden between Adam, Eve, and God, there was no miscommunication. They never had to second guess what they meant by what they said. There was no angst. There was no drama. (coughs) There was no depression. There was no jealousy. There was no hate. There was no hurt, no pain, no weakness, and no tragedy. The earth didn't shake. It didn't spew lava from its core to the surface. It didn't rain acid rain. We didn't have tidal waves. We didn't have perhaps even wind. <laughs> you know, I mean, who, who knows? We didn't have storms. You know, those, those things didn't exist. But we have, now have the presence of all of those things, from the greatest of those maybe being death down to the least of those just being angst or miscommunication. But life's challenging, right? That, that uh, miscommunication really has come up a lot lately with me see a lot of people they text instead of like talking Mm -hmm. and you can't distinguish tone you can't distinguish anything from a text other than a text yeah and i think a lot of problems erupt from that and people are just getting away from talking i just i keep seeing that over and over again yeah if you received a text message today and it was all in caps you would assume what? Okay, so I'm just going to tell you, I did not know that. So, <laughs> I was on a group text with my daughter and her roommates and some moms, and I put something on a text, and you know, just like, it was like a funny thing, not a, not a yelly thing, but then it sticks, right? You know, and so you have to go back and change it to not be all and so my daughter calls me she's like quit yelling at everybody on the text. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I didn't think you're mad. I'm like I had no idea okay so, and so then she said and apologize say my phone was stuck <laughs> is, isn't that funny though right my mom still doesn't know uh, about the all caps and how you how you even undo all caps um, I guess we have a group text too and um, there's one, one of the nurse, every time she asks something or says something on the chat, it's all in all caps. And she, but then she follows that sorry about all the all caps. <laughs> <laughs> every single time she types something in it, it's all all caps. I'm like, okay, what's going on? 
There's a, there's Maybe a member. She yes, she might not know. There's a member of this class that texts me often, uh, and the texts are almost incoherent. They're <laughs> devoid of any punctuation, capitalization, or anything. And, and, and in many cases, I want to write back and say, what? Um, so you may or may not know who, who you are today. Hey, that but could just be voice texting. Somebody could be voice texting. Could, could yeah. be. Yeah, I'm not sure. And that's exactly why I don't. I don't do that. I don't do that. I don't so at some, sometimes I show her the text and say, what? Yeah. <laughs> How do I respond to that? I'm not sure there is a response sometimes, right? So miscommunication is something we see. But the real question for this week, week one of this seven-part series, is why does suffering exist? Um, today we'll focus on the events and circumstances of suffering, but we won't get all the way to the topic that you may feel personally or have a lot of personal experience with. But over the next seven weeks, we probably will. Um, but one of the points that I want to make sure that I make is that if you're suffering now, you don't have to wait to your specified week that deals with your suffering to get help. Right? So if you're suffering, you know, stop one of us, raise a hand, call a friend, text, perhaps without all caps, <laughs> uh, and, and reach out now. Right? Um, so suffering, and the point of this message today is the suffering really is just a part of living in a fallen world. Um, if you're seeking a life absent of suffering, sorry, you, you live on the wrong planet, you live under the wrong set of circumstances, you're going to experience suffering. So the icebreaker question today, if we haven't broken the ice already, is what's your favorite way to relax and recover after a hard day? Read at home lunch. Read alone. There's a, there, there's, so that was the activity, but the thing you might be seeking there, it sounds like there might be some quiet, yes. a little bit of self-care, a little bit of intellectual stimulation perhaps. Yeah. What's, what's I accidentally ended up at home alone, no kids, no husband, just me and the TV last night, and that was amazing. It was no it was intellectual amazing. anything. I was just watching mindless TV, but nobody needed anything. I didn't feel like I needed to be anywhere and it accidentally happened and I was thankful. You needed one of those yeah. just sort of like <laughs> mind melting moments yeah. where you had to be entertained. There's a show that I like to watch on TV. <coughs> Trust me, we're not learning a thing. And it's like these fail video things and they're just, it's just fun sometimes to just not have to think. And it's one of those shows where I don't have to think at all. Um, can we make room for two over here? Let's slide over. Musical uh, chairs. Um, anybody else? What are what are some of the ways you like to unwind? I like to put puzzles together. Puzzles. Yeah. There's something about a puzzle that makes you think just enough. Just enough. Right. That I'm not falling asleep. But you're because not. when I try to sit down with a book or with my iPad and it's quiet on my Three point five, and I'm gone. Cool. What What are other ways you like to unwind after a hard day? Sometimes just pray and just be quiet. Prayer, quiet. Come home, yell at the kids. You know, kick the dogs. (laughs) Kick the dogs. (laughs) Throw paint on the wall. Take it out on somebody. Yeah, food fight. You know, we, we laugh, but there really are people that are experiencing that at the end of a hard day. 
they're not coming home seeking peace, but they are coming home seeking some retribution, maybe punching holes in the wall, kicking the dog, berating the kids, having a drink or a drink too many. So we don't, we don't live like that, right? But so that there's a difference. Those that are outside the faith may not just be seeking a moment of peace, a moment of quiet, a chance to pray, a chance to be intellectually stimulated. They too are living in this fallen world and they may have a very different expression when they get a, when they get a little break. So over the next seven weeks, um, we're gonna be talking about why does suffering exist today? We're also gonna be talking about how God can use me when others suffer. The third week is why am I suffering? Fourth week is what is uh, God's answer to suffering? Fifth week is does God really understand my pain and suffering? Week six is where does comfort come from? And then week seven, how can I honor God in my suffering? So again, today we're going to be talking a little bit about the existence of suffering and why it exists. Uh, you probably know where we're going. We're going to Genesis today, so it all started pretty early on. <laughs> so will somebody read the Bible Meets Life uh, segment? It's on page 70 in your books. Can somebody read that for us? Some days are harder than others. Deadlines, upset co-workers, and congested traffic makes the sight of home a welcome relief. Walking through the door of your house means a chance to relax, catch your breath, and forget about all the hardships of the day. With a good night's rest, we can face another day, but sometimes difficulties won't leave. When we were expecting our first child, we got when we were expecting our first child, we got caught up in the excitement of preparing for a new life. Like most new parents, we look forward to months ahead, fixing up the nursery, attending baby showers, choosing the baby's name, and even choosing names for his or her grandparents. Our family joined in the excitement. But things did not go as planned. Right after the end of the first trimester, the pregnancy ended in miscarriage. We were devastated. The following days were a mix of sleeplessness, grief, tears, questions, anger, and disbelief. We had indeed experienced a great loss. We cried out to God with one question, why, Lord, have we been permitted the suffering? Yeah, tough, tough situation, right? And I know there could be people in this room that have experienced that, and, and it's not a, a light thing. Uh, but yeah, certainly uh, here captures our attention and reminds us that real suffering exists. And, uh, and it can happen to, to anyone. It can happen to good people. Um, the setting here is in Genesis. Uh, it says Genesis is the book of origins. It explains how things began. Unfortunately, one of those things was the introduction of sin into the world. Genesis 3 describes how Adam and Eve gave into temptation and plunged humanity into sin. In contrast, Romans 8, which we'll also touch on today, is all about hope. The Apostle Paul began the chapter with a reminder that no believer stands condemned in Christ and ended with a stirring encouragement that nothing can separate us from God's love. So let's flip over to the first set of passages today. This is in Genesis 3. And can I get a volunteer to read Genesis 3, 16 through 19? To the woman he said, I will make your pains and childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. 
for dust you are, and to dust you will return. There are a lot of interesting implications to sin there that we need to unpack and talk about a little bit. And some of these you may have glossed over before and may not uh, even understand the full meaning of today. And you should also know that in the commentary, depending on which commentary you're reading, there's still a lot of debate about what some of these things that we just read, what they actually mean. Um, What we can't argue is that they're real, that they really happened, uh, that biblically God made these commands and he delivered these to Adam and Eve, and we still suffer under the same curses uh, that were placed upon them and upon the ground that we actually walk on. Um, But there's some good healthy debate to be had uh, around our existence with each other uh, today in this world that we experience. So when when, uh, God described to women, uh, what are some of the things that he described would be curses to women based on the the sins of Eve? Painful childbirth. Painful childbirth. Right? That's uh, that's an interesting one. Right? Um, Why why that? That's a good question. You got an answer to that? What you got, Jason? No, I mean, what? Seems like an interesting choice. Right. It's specific to women. It's specific to women. I think Scott gets the, the gold star by his name today. It's something that the man can't experience. And that in itself creates some interesting tension. Right? Because throughout history, guys have been claiming that a kidney stone is just as painful. Is it? Yes. We don't. <laughs> Maybe you know. But see, for guys, we don't really know. We can't, we can't experience childbirth. Well, we, you know. You Y'all just know because it won't be. So it's one of those weird, I think he chose something that only a woman could experience. Um, what are what are some of the other things that God delivered as a really a curse as a implication of sin to women? That your husband will rule over you. Yeah, and maybe that first part of that, your desire will be for your husband. Right, I've always that's always interested me more than the rest. Yeah, so your desire will be for your husband. There's a lot of dudes in the room that think that might mean something, but it doesn't. It does. <laughs> doesn't work that way. There's obvious. There's there's usually an inequity in that particular uh, equation, and typically it's the man that has more desire. Right. <laughs> this is this is not God commanding that to be the way you want it to be. It's not. Sorry. What is it though? What is what is it though? When it, when when God says your desire will be for your husband, what does He mean? So prior to this curse of sin, Adam and Eve walked in what? They walked in equality before God. You remember whenever Adam desires a mate, where does God take the bone from Adam to make Eve? From his side. And he says he takes the bone from his side so that they'll walk side by side in equality before God. And in this particular case, there are these two parts actually go together. It says, your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. God just, God just moved that relationship. And the desire you'll have for your husband is for your husband's position. 
It's for leadership of the household. So the issue of marital strife, the issue of miscommunication, all of the tension that we feel in the relationship, he heaps that on women in general right here. Doesn't mean that in your personal situation or at your house today, your husband isn't responsible for screwing things up because that's typically the case at my house. But in this particular, <laughs> I'm usually wrong. It usually helps if I just say I'm wrong and then we can get back to... Yes, dear. Yes, we can get back to living a peaceful, joyous life. But in the relationship here, God actually creates an inequity that he knows is going to create tension and it's going to ripple throughout time. And he places that on women, whether fair or not. Um, but he says that the husband will ultimately rule over the wife, which is interesting. Uh, what about Adam? What's he, what's he heap on Adam and then therefore all mankind? <coughs> right, he says, cursed is the ground because of you through painful toil. The fact that you have to work <clears throat> and not enjoy it, it's his fault. It's man's fault. So every time you have to grind to get the things that you need, your food, your household, comfort for your children, God heaped that responsibility on men and said they're to blame for it. Do you realize that in this case that God actually, when he says cursed is the ground, that he actually cursed his own creation? He cursed creation. And we'll read later in other verses that creation groans that it too is struggling, and that the output of that are things like volcanoes and tidal waves and storms, and literally creation itself is in torment. And later in the passages that we'll read, creation actually gets a voice uh, in the argument uh, as well, and it, it's been crying out to God for God to end it, for the, for the end to come, and that it, it groans. So if you ever hear somebody say that it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets any better, those people are reading ahead in Revelation, but I also think they're just taking in the environment around them and saying, man, this is just going to heck in a handbasket, isn't it? Because it is. It's literally falling apart. It's suffering, and what it's suffering from is decay. And that decay comes from the fact that Adam stood on that ground and sinned before God. It's his fault. It's interesting. What are, what are some of the others? What did Adam and Eve eat prior to this? No meat. They didn't eat, they didn't, really, they didn't eat the animals. Mm-hmm. What else did they not eat? Did they farm? Did they garden? Mm-hmm. No. It was all provided for them. Now everything that they eat is going to come from the ground. Right? So if you don't like your vegetables... Your kids don't like their vegetables. There's a reason why. They're cursed. <laughs> <laughs> they come from the ground. Jason, do not kill my You never thought about that, right? Never. Prior to this, Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve never had to wash their food. It wasn't dirty. Now their food comes from the ground. They have to work hard for it. And it's probably not as tasty, right? It's, it's interesting when you start and think, stop and think about, prior to this, we never had to dig anything out of the dirt. Never had to wash it off. 
you know, it was all hanging from a tree or provided, right? It, it's very interesting to think about. So they didn't have potatoes. They didn't have potatoes. They didn't have corn. They didn't have, you know, they weren't farmers prior to this, but after this, they're farmers. And it says that not only will you farm, that you'll do this with the sweat of your brow. Doesn't even, even an easy day is going to be hard. Even an easy day is going to be full of sweat. Or an easier day. And then he, and then he ties all this together at the end of this, and he says, um, you'll return to the ground since from it you were taken, uh, for dust you are and dust you will return. Were they ever going to die? No. So there were no graveyards, right? There, you didn't have to buy a plot. You didn't have to dig a hole to put a body in because those bodies never died. But now we have to do that. And it's interesting that he chooses to return us to the ground, uh, the very place that we're working, you know, this, this, this ground, this creation that we cursed. He's going to put us in it, cover us up. <laughs> it's really weird and, and, and somewhat creepy. But he's going to make us, you ever heard that, uh, you made the bed and I lay in it? This is where it comes from, is that Adam cursed the ground, therefore lay in it. Be returned to it. It's a little harsh, doesn't it feel? Was there any surprises there? Anything you hadn't heard before? Anything you hadn't really thought about before? I never thought about like the ground being cursed. I mean, I knew I've heard, I heard it like that because I had a farm and toil and all that, but just never thought about the earth and all the storms being cursed in that storm. I understand why I don't like some vegetables now. Yeah. <laughs> so when you're experiencing these verses here, sort of reading those today, what, what emotions do you experience when you, when you hear these read or you hear them explained? There's something in the heart of a believer from an emotional standpoint when you read these from a non-believer. Non-believer reads these and it sounds like a fairy tale. Right? To a believer, we start to realize the implication of sin and we start to feel a little bit bad, we start to feel a little sad that this, that this happened. But there's something else inside a believer when you read these. And you start to have a sense of hope. And that's a weird thing when you're reading something about curses and why it all happened. To feel hope is strange. But there's a reason why the writers of this put Genesis 3 together with Romans 8. And it's because we, we, start, we know how the story ends. We know that all of this gets redeemed. And we know that there will be a creation, a new heaven and a new earth, that we get to enjoy. We, we know that death ends. We know that sickness ends. We know that the relationship between husband and wife will be equal before God. We understand all of those things. This element of hope starts to spring up. What surprises you about the way people respond to sin's consequences? Have you seen any interesting responses to a consequence of sin? Denial. Yeah, denial. That's my favorite, probably. So just ignore it. And what it, the way you'll hear it is, well, I can't possibly be, you know, this is just circumstantial. It can't be related to my sin. It's ignorance. It's ignorance. <clears throat> you may even hear from a Christian, well, God loves me. Certainly he wouldn't hold me accountable. 
isn't God love? Isn't God all forgiving? Isn't God, you know, full of grace? Well, yeah. But there's still implications to sin. Any other surprises? No? Okay. Let's flip over to the next section and we'll start to get some of that hope we were talking about. Uh, that's in Romans 8. Can somebody read Romans 8, 18 through 22, please? I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. But the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from the bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Yeah, so interesting word choice by Paul there. Uh, he ties the whole childbirth thing back in. He, uh, he ties in the children of God to be revealed. We can talk about what that might mean. Um, Paul's writing with some incredible imagery here, and there's a reason why, uh, again, the, the assemblers of this material put Genesis 3 and Romans 8 together. It's because Paul's actually referencing Genesis 3 uh, in his writing, they believe. Um, what, uh, what stands out for you in this particular passage? Or if you need a little help, What's the contrast we see, we see between creation and our current state? That the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay. Yeah, so so creation's bound up just like we are uh, in, in sin. And Paul, Paul writes here that it's going to be liberated from its bondage one day. Does that match up with what we read in Revelation? is right it's going to be liberated from this from this bondage it's going to go through a lot of pain and suffering uh, we know that there's going to be fire that rains down from heaven all over the earth um, but will the earth be consumed I don't know will it be restored we do know that <laughs> We do know that it will be restored. What are some other interesting things that you read there? Think about your present sufferings and think about the glory that it is to come. It just helps you not to worry and stress so much about your circumstances. Yeah. It's not worth comparing to seems really bad right now, but it's going to be so good. Yeah. So Paul, at the time of the writings of Roman, Romans 8, had endured a lot of suffering. Um, he, someone had, they had attempted to kill him a couple of times. He'd been through some shipwrecks. He'd been through some long travels. He'd been hungry, sleepless, jailed. I mean, he'd been through some stuff by the time that this was written. Um, but he says that all of those present sufferings are not really worth comparing to the glory that's revealed in us. And I hear that both in both of y'all's comments. I like that when in Paul's writing, he gives creation a voice. He, he personifies uh, creation. Uh, and he says that it waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. What's that mean? 
Hey, good morning. So when he says that creation waits with eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed, what in the world is he talking about? Waiting for the the final restoration for, you know, it all to be revealed. The scroll to, you know, the the heavens to open up and for the restoration to begin. Yeah, so when Christ returns, how how will he return? bodily glory. Yeah, but when he, when he, when he comes, he's, what's that? The trumpets. Trumpets. There's going to be, yes, there's going to be some announcement that he's coming, right? <coughs> he's going to come quickly. We also know he's going to come in the clouds, right? So he's going to come down from heaven. Is he alone? No. He's not alone. The Bible only describes him coming with multitudes. Uh, what else happens when he comes? Yeah, everybody will notice, right? We'll go, certainly not go unnoticed. What else happens when he comes? According to the Christian faith, the Bible we believe, what, what, there's going to be something extraordinary that happens. Right, everybody will bow. Every knee is going to bow. Right, Everybody will honor him and recognize that he is the Lord. Uh, that's that's going to be a, an awesome thing to see. Will dead people still be stuck in the ground? No. And this is where, again, Paul's tying this back to Genesis, where God had just cursed humankind to when they die, well, first they will die, and then they'll die, and they'll go back to the earth, right? We understand that today because we dig graves and we put bodies in them and we cover them up. Um, but if you didn't, right, if, if you just, you know, body just died and laid on the ground, eventually that would return to dust in the same way. But... Creation's waiting for not only that expectation of God coming, but all of those believers are going to be revealed. They're going to come up out of the ground. And then it's waiting with that, waiting for that with this greatest of anticipation. Uh, I find that really interesting imagery to think about. That God's coming, God's coming with this host of believers and, and heavenly beings, and then the whole earth is going to reveal it's it's dead uh, that are that are that are believers in Christ. Um, it says creation was subjected to frustration, but not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. It's really interesting, right? Uh, who was the who was the one that subjected it? So we did, right? So man, man subjected it. Um, can man unsubject it, though? No. And that's what it means to live in bondage, right? That it's it's trapped. Uh, it it too needs a savior. It too needs God to come and to restore things because the one that screwed it up can't fix it. Have you ever screwed something up you can't fix? We should all be nodding here, right? This, this is the situation that the, uh, the earth is in. It's the thing that got screwed up, and the one that screwed it up can't fix it, and it's stuck. Uh, and then at the end here, it says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up until the present time. In what ways is it groaning? 
Who's a groaning too? Yeah, have you ever you ever feel like the the earth is angry? And that it might be taking some some stuff out on us? We know that God uses the earth and all the systems of the earth to, to judge mankind, and he has been since the beginning. Uh, has God ever sent a storm to deal with the people? Yeah. Did God ever send fire from heaven to deal with the people? Yeah. Did he ever send an earthquake to announce his presence? Yeah, so if you read on in the story of Elijah, if you were in worship today, uh, you know, Elijah later on, he's in this cave, he's waiting to experience the presence of the Lord, and some things happen. And one of those is an earthquake precedes the presence of the Lord. What about when Jesus uh, passes uh, on Calvary? What, what happens? There's a major earthquake. Um, what else happened? The veil of the, of the temple was torn, right? Realizing that there's no longer a separation. What else happened physically that day? It got dark. It was as if the sun had been blotted out. Weird. Right? So God can use uh, the earth and, and all of the systems of the earth to judge us, and he has been uh, forever. And that literally those things are calling out to him and probably calling out to us as well. That, uh, that we're, we're in their reminders that we, we need a Savior. Um, where do you see evidence of this bondage and groaning in the world today? See any evidence around you? Yeah, so you don't realize how blessed you are uh, as an American from time to time. If you've never been to another part of the world, you realize that there are parts of the world that really do look completely cursed. They don't have the ability to find water or food. Um, you know, there's, we're living a very different experience here, and we're, we're extraordinarily blessed, but most of the world struggles to have a full belly. Um, what are some other? No, I was going to say. I think also that we can go in sort of the, the direction of talking about how um, it's, I think it's going to lead to the next chapter. But what can we take positive out of it too? Like uh, if we suffer, we can also he can show us something that then we can be uh, more easily recognized to someone else that's got a need that we can you know, reach out to too. If we don't. If we didn't have any of that, then it's it hard for us to relate to somebody else. Yeah, and in a couple of weeks, there is a whole session on that of how we use our experiences in suffering to actually help other people. Yeah, I think that's, that's a good thing. Um, have you ever taken something nice, something really nice? Like, what if you took, like, the nicest car you can think of and you just parked it somewhere on the earth and just left it? How long would it take for it not to be nice anymore? Not long. Yeah. What if you took like a piece of wood? Like you went to Lowe's today and you, you bought a piece of their best wood and you just went out and threw it on the ground. How long would that be nice? Not long. You'd flip it over and there'd be bugs all over it. And the earth trying to, trying to reclaim that. 
Has anybody ever gone back to their old rundown hometown and seen entire dwellings that somehow the earth is just reclaiming? It's just grown over them and it's just literally pulling them apart and just reclaiming it. It's reclaiming things like concrete. Just, you can't tell it was ever even there. That's some of the, some of the realization that we have that we are temporary. Even the most permanent of things, even the nicest of things, if they're just left to the earth, the earth will destroy those. They're nothing. That's some of the groaning that I think we see. So let's talk about Romans 8, 23 through 25. Uh, will somebody finish this out here today? Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So how does Paul's description of hope differ from the way our culture uses the word hope? Paul says that hope is for, is for things that you don't already have, <coughs> perhaps can't already have. I heard a voice over here. Now, our hope is not a wish. Yeah, and that's the big difference, right? My son Maddox loves Lamborghinis. He wishes, he's wishing right now that his first car could be a Lamborghini. <laughs> <laughs> right, Hot Wheel maybe? Um, that's a wish, it's not really a hope. Um, what, are, what are some of the things you hear people hoping for in our culture? World peace, right? Are they ever going to get their wish, their hope? No. Revelation says you're gonna hear about wars and rumors of wars, right? It's, it's, not, it's not going to happen. Um, what about a good job? You hear people hope or wish for a good job. Yeah. That's something ultimately you, you can have though, right? It's just a matter of expectation setting sometimes. And there's, a, there's a battle of what we want and what we need, uh, right? So what Paul's saying here is that that would be one of those things you sort of already have, right? You don't have to hope for that. It's already, it's already there. Paul says we should hope for things that are not yet seen. He also says that we groan inwardly for these things as we eagerly await our adoption to sonship. What's he mean by that? Do you groan inwardly? What is it that we're groaning about? What is it that we're torn about? Well, we're stuck here, right? Sometimes we just groan about our present reality, and that is we're stuck with this illness, or this body, or this set of circumstances, or this life, right? But we know that it all ends, and, and we, we groan inwardly. We sort of hope, uh, even subliminally, that we, we know that at some point we'll be, a, we'll be adopted and that God will return and we'll live with him in, in, in peace. Um, we groan for a different level of fellowship with 
Yeah, so what are some of the ways that the Holy Spirit helps us to endure suffering and look forward to exactly what Rob was just describing? Fellowship with Christ. What are some of the ways the Holy Spirit helps us to endure suffering? Yeah, right? Peace in a, in a tough situation that you can't explain. What about some grace that's unmerited? You know, anyone ever had the Holy Spirit bless them with knowledge of something? Insight, <laughs> that divine wisdom. Um, what are other ways the Holy Spirit would help us to endure? Holy Spirit also works in the people around us and sometimes move other people to physically help us, which is a really cool thing and something we've talked about in here before, and that is when someone comes to mind, it's, you know, it's not just random, right? Especially those people that feel really random, that just pop into your head and keep popping into your head. Whatever. That's right. Yeah. You remember the passage, Jesus with his disciples, he said, Lord, teach us to pray. Right? And he gives them that, that you know, famous passage, but he goes on to say that, you know, I'm going to leave you and the Spirit's going to live with inside you, and that, that Spirit's going to cry out between, you know, he and me. <laughs> and he's going he's gonna to guide you in what you should pray. So when we have those things come into our mind, it's often the move of the Spirit. Um, let's, let's wrap up today with this. So this, this week, uh, just ways you can further connect with, with this particular passage. Uh, one of those, uh, it says, this is on page 76 in your book, is to acknowledge our sin. Uh, for most of us, we've already admitted that we are uh, sinners, but to uh, live in a, in a life that's completely fulfilled and free of suffering, you know, one of the ways we do that is acknowledging our position uh, with, with Christ, um, and that we, we acknowledge that it's only with him in the future that we'll be without suffering. So admitting, admitting our sins in front of our, our God. And the, the next one says, as you groan with hope and look to the future, make a list of the ways God can use your current situation to deepen your walk with him. We'll talk in a couple of weeks, as was mentioned over here, about how God can use our circumstance to help other people. But in this particular session, we're, we're really trying to focus on how can God use you now to deepen your fellowship with him. And then ultimately to share your hope. It says, as we encounter others who are suffering, allow God to use your suffering to help other people. Be aware of opportunities to help and encourage others who are suffering. Um, anybody here a good encourager? We've talked about it in the past. It's a pretty rare trait, right? Don't see a lot of encouragement in the world today. Um, even if you can't physically help, sometimes just an encouraging word goes a long way. Um, any text message? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Like tomorrow, right? New job. Yeah. Starts tomorrow. Yeah. So, Daryl pops in your head tomorrow. I should be like, I should probably text her. If I don't answer, it's because I'm trying to be professional. New job. <laughs> <laughs> Any other comments or questions? <coughs> Thomas.
comments or questions on today's passage? I think that reading in Genesis 3 uh, is really intriguing, and there's probably a lot more to unpack there. It's probably one of those things to think about this week, read a little more up on, um, and again, enjoy the debate that exists in some of the different commentaries out there about exactly what God, God means by some of these curses uh, and how that continues to uh, divide and, uh, and uh, work on the genders uh, in, in between man, men and women, especially uh, men and men in their work, and there's some ties even to physical pain uh, that men may be experiencing today. Could go back to this, this fall, this curse that applied to the earth, uh, and then in the area of communication and sort of marital relations, uh, the the curse that was placed on women and how that could still be expressing itself today. Uh, there's a lot of interesting reading out there to do, but uh, it's yeah, tough. Um, any other thoughts? Questions? Anybody disagree horribly? Open. I'm trying to decide if people are cursed or not. I know he specifically says cursed is the ground. And what, what does that really mean to be cursed? And does, he, does it specifically say that women are cursed or that men are cursed? No. It doesn't really. It says no. the ground is cursed. Yeah. But he passes out curses in pain and toil and I would describe those as curses perhaps you may be using a different definition of the word curse it might be because I'm hungry but I'm curious how the food tasted before they had to work for it and also when Elijah got the bread I'm like man that must have been good bread in the last 40 you know take care of 40 day journey (laughs) no preservatives yeah that was the good stuff Right. All right. I think we'll wrap up there today. Um, somebody lead us in prayer to be dismissed.